Amen. All right, check this out. It was just like any other ordinary day. And uh, these uh, band of men were following their great teacher, and they were learning absolutely everything they possibly could from him. And on this day, it just happened that uh, uh, they were walking past one of the most beautiful, magnificent structures of the day. And, and so naturally, one of the men asked the great teacher to comment on this magnificent building. And boy, did he ever check this out. But the answer they received was not just surprising, it was a prophecy of doom. And he says this, he says, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another, everyone will be thrown down. And sure enough, the prophecy came true. And it all started because this rebellious people not only rebelled against their God, they even rebelled against their leaders. And so a vast army was sent to lay siege to their city with devastating results. Soon the food supplies began to run low. And so these people not only began to loot and kill each other for food, at one point they actually resorted, history records for us, to cannibalism. History records how parents actually resorted to eating the flesh of their very own children. Wow. But that's still not all. So rebellious were these people that instead of uniting against a common enemy, they actually began to kill each other instead of their enemy. Thousands and thousands of their own brothers were brutally murdered, each one of them and their groups trying to gain control. And when all was said and done, they not only lost it all, but nearly one and a half million people lost their lives as well. And then just when you thought the whole thing was over, suddenly a fire began in the city. And this fire not only began to spread, it began to fulfill that prophecy. You see, the fire had melted the gold in the temple, which in turn made the gold run down into the stones, into the ground. Therefore, in order to get at that gold, the scavengers had to turn over every single stone and throw them all down to get to the gold, exactly like the great teacher had warned. So obviously, the book is Matthew, and the judgment, of course, is the destruction of Jerusalem that was fulfilled from the lips of Jesus was fulfilled in 70 A.D., by the Roman invasion, okay? Now, how many guys are familiar with the Matthew 24 and this prophecy from Jesus, right? Most of us typically are. The problem is most of us don't realize the horrific manner in which it was fulfilled. We read in the scripture, and we, use, we get this firsthand account from the writings of a Jewish historian called Josephus, okay? I think from the Thrones of Blood, a pretty intense uh, study. But uh, anyway, he tells us this is literally how bad it was. Now, here's my point. That came from the lips of Jesus, right? Okay, And so Jesus not only prophesied judgment to come, and obviously it happened, but that tells us that Jesus is not only God, but he's a God who what? He is going to judge. He's going to let the hammer come down. One day, enough is enough. He is going to judge sin, right? And so once again in our study, this is the point. You would think that if God warns us, if he, we see that there's evidence he judges planet one time, and he warns us of another future coming judgment, that we would stand up and take notice, right? And this is from Jesus. He tells us he is a God who judges sin. Now, unfortunately, we saw that's the logical conclusion that people would say, hey, I better get right with God so I don't suffer the coming judgment of God, right? I better take God's word and warning now to escape it, right? Unfortunately, our world today is so extremely skeptical because of evolution, atheism, and certainly the hardness of man's heart, okay? But they not only don't want to seem to believe in God, but if there's one thing they absolutely refuse to believe in, and that is this, that God is a God who would judge. And not just that God is a God who would judge, but God is a God who would judge sin. And he'll put it into it. Our world just does not want to believe that. But folks, it's true. God judges planet once. He's fixing to do it again. And people need to get ready, okay? And that's why we're going to continue our study, the witness of creation. And what we're doing is, you know, the, the theme is we're taking a look at different evidences that God's left behind for us. You talk about being merciful, Okay, to show us that, listen, he's not just real, but we really can have a loving, beautiful, intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, before it's too late. Okay, because one day it's going to be too late. Okay, and uh, we've already seen that first evidence was the evidence of an intelligent creation. The second evidence was the evidence of a young creation or young earth. The third evidence was the evidence of a special creation exposing all the lies of evolution. It doesn't even work, and they admit it. Okay, turn to somebody and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. And dude, you get the first piece of gum tonight because you even did it with the same goofy voice I did. That's right, get up for Scott. Anointed man of God. Praise God. Hopefully that made it on tape. But let's continue on, shall we? And then the last two times we saw the fourth evidence, okay, uh, was the evidence of a judge creation. And so far we've seen that, hello, there really was a judge creation, i.e. a global catastrophe called a worldwide flood. And we saw that we believe that not just because the Bible says so, that's not bad, 
Okay, that is the primary source, but also because of legends say so, lineages say so, languages say so. But we also saw last time, we saw because uh, uh, not just a global catastrophe, but of a great fossilization. Why in the world do we find billions and billions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the world? Because there was a worldwide flood, and when it happened, it buried billions and billions of dead things that, uh, in the sediment that turned to rock all over the world. Okay, And we saw that evidence with the sudden death and burial Okay, animals dying with food still in their mouth in the middle of giving birth. Something happened very rapidly that buried them. The evidence of swirling graveyards, just parts and pieces of massive amounts of animals in a swirling fashion, like somebody pulled the drain plug and, and that's what, okay. And then, of course, swirling forests, massive amounts of forests, uh, big, huge chunks of them uh, literally just being covered instantaneously all over the planet, okay. And what we saw, the evidence points to not just, hey, uh, there really was a worldwide flood. But when you take a look at how the structure, the bodies, the carcasses, the fossils are laid out, only a worldwide flood can explain that. Not a comment, not that you know it was a back pain that killed the dinosaurs and some of the other whacked out theories that they want to come, or, or the one that we'll, we'll only get to this eventually. The one that still gets me is that they want that anything and everything but a flood, right? But here's what happened to the dinosaurs. It wasn't a flood. No, no, they turned into birds, which would include a chicken, and we all know that's evil. Okay, but uh, anyway, excuse me, they turned into birds. Man, it's anything but a flood. It's a flood, folks. That's what took them out, as well as everything else on the planet uh, as well. Okay, but that's not the third evidence of a judge creation. God judges planet once. He's going to do it again. You better pay attention. Is the evidence of what I call a God-inspired deluge. Okay, that's a word you don't hear too often, but it's a good one, folks, because again, as I said in the opening, if you were here, man, this thing was horrific. Nobody was going to survive this baby. I mean, you think it was, it's just incredible. And, you, and we're going to do that tonight. We're going to get into the original Hebrew and show how graphic, how horrific this thing was. Nobody was going to survive this flood, okay? And, and even though the Bible clearly says that there was a literal worldwide flood that was literally inspired by the hand of God, literally for the judgment of man upon his sin, Many people still today scoff, and maybe you've heard of them, and they say, well, there's still no way we can literally take that account of the flood of Noah, literally, because what they say is there is no way in the world that there was enough water in the world to cover the whole world to the tops of the mountains to 20 feet. How many guys have heard of that objection? Okay, and that's what we're going to deal with tonight, okay? Let's put it to the test. Could the earth have ever contained enough water to flood the whole planet, even to the tops of the mountains, 20 feet? Okay, do we see any signs of that, not just biblically, but also scientifically? Yes. Thank you, Ruth. Sorry, I had to do the fake voice, but I am loaded with that nifty gum that you gave me. I'm ready to go uh, this week. Okay, uh, yeah, okay. And, and turn to somebody and say this phrase, because this is the theme also for tonight. Read your Bible. Okay. <laughs> oh, if only we had the answers and knew how God did this. Read the Bible. It's right there. And this is what blows me away. People sit there and they scoff and make fun of the Bible and say, oh, there's no proof. Read the Bible. It's right there. It's like, have you not even read it? But I think that's the problem, isn't it? I used to be one of them. You would just parrot what the media wants you to think about the Bible and the Genesis and the flood without investigating the fact, okay? And if you read the Bible, you're going to see that there was tons of water, plenty of water, and it came from two sources, and that's what we're going to deal with tonight. And the first source is there was a massive amount of water from above, okay? But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Let's go back to the Genesis account, Genesis chapter 7. Okay, and let's see where did this water come from that literally did flood the whole planet as high as the mountains 20 feet above that. Okay, Genesis chapter 7, verses 6 through 12. Okay, so God's warning uh, uh, Noah that he's getting ready to judge a plant, and now he's getting ready to put it into action. Okay, Genesis chapter 7, starting with verse 6. Okay, now it says here, Noah was six. Hundred years old. Okay, we're going to get into this a little bit tonight because people say, oh, well, see, here it is. Here's why we can't take this literally. 600 years. That's because the pre-flood world was not like the world today. We'll get into that just a little teaser tonight. And then later, Lord willing, we'll get into great detail. Yes, you can live that long, even uh, with the right conditions. And that's what the pre-flood world provided. 600 years old. Oh, and by the way, you're still on halfway there. Okay, he is, okay. Anyway, 600 years old, that's what was happening uh, when Noah was 600 years old. Okay, how would you guys like to have that for a birthday present? Hey, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, Noah, happy birthday to you. All right, hey, I'm going to flood the world. Right? 
See, you're thinking way too logically, and I'm starting to get low on gum already, Mary. Thank you. That's a good, yeah, that would be a huge cake, man. That's supposed to be an arc of a cake, but I digress. Let's get rolling, shall we? Uh, here's what it is. Uh, and Noah did all, uh, he says this, Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth, okay? And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. Okay, and after seven days, the floodgates came on the earth. Okay, in the 600th year of Noah's life, listen, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, how many guys would say God knew when this was going to happen? Talk about specifics, okay? On that day, he says, uh, he says, what's going to happen? Okay, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens, ulnas, okay, atmosphere, were open. And rain fell on the earth for how long? 40 days and for 40 nights. Okay, so if you read the Bible, you're going to see where all this water came from. Okay, that flooded the world. Okay, and it came from two sources. And this, the last one we finished up there with is it came, first of all, from the waters from above, from the floodgates of the heavens, urnas, or the atmosphere. And when it came down, okay, and these two sources, we're going to deal with this first one first. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, how many guys would say that's a pretty big rainstorm, okay? Again, I'm telling you, folks, it wasn't just, wow, that was kind of long for it to rain, 40 days and 40 nights, you know. I'm telling you, it's not until you peel back into the original text, uh, into the Hebrew language, you see just how horrific this was. It wasn't just that it lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It was unbelievable. Nobody was going to survive that. And so let's do that tonight. The first way we know that, folks, this water coming from above was absolutely horrific. It was the worst rainstorm ever in the history of mankind. Praise God, never to be repeated again, is from the Hebrew word uh, gesem, okay? It's the Hebrew word gesem. As it turns out, if you do the homework, there's two uh, uh, Hebrew words, different words, uh, in the Old Testament to describe rain, okay? One is gesem, okay, as we see here, and the other one is matar, okay? Now, the word matar is used to speak of like a normal rain. Or maybe a heavier rain, like that rainstorm we were talking about in Vegas, which seemed pretty bad. But that's nothing, man. Gesem in the Hebrew was used to speak, listen, of a sheer, massive, unbelievable outpouring of rain, listen, accompanied with an immense windstorm. It was the strongest word in the Hebrew language to describe the absolute most horrific, horrible rain you could ever even imagine. And so guess what word was used to describe uh, the rain, uh, speaking of uh, the flood. It's, it's Gesem, Genesis 7, verse 12, break it apart, and rain. What kind of rain? Was it Matar? No, this was Gesem, fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, okay? And so the Bible declares that at the rain at the time of the flood, this wasn't minor. This wasn't just a major thunderstorm. It wasn't just a really bad, intense one like we might get here in Vegas for 40 days and 40 nights. When this thing started to rain, when this rain came down, it was horrible. It rained like you can't even believe. I mean, wave upon wave, sheets upon sheets, massive wind. It was horrible. You couldn't see nothing. It just wouldn't stop. Listen, and it didn't last for an hour like here in Vegas and stop. Massive rain, massive sheets, torrents of wind, the worst thing you could ever imagine. Take whatever we've had here in Vegas, times it by 10, 24 hours, 48 hours. It's still going another a week and it still hasn't stopped it hasn't even let up it goes into the second week for 40 days for 40 nights this massive sheets of rain wow that's the kind of rain that came down when it started to rain for 40 days and 40 nights nothing was going to survive this thing only those who were on the ark okay and you might be thinking well okay so that's interesting. That's pretty graphic in the Hebrew there, but uh, let's put it to the test. How could there have been such a massive outpouring of rain, okay, from the heavens, the Uranus atmosphere, when we still have rainstorms today, and we don't see them on that scale, let alone for that long? Well, number one, it said, the text says, it came from the hand of God. How many of you guys would say God can do whatever the world he wants to do? Hello, that's common sense. We could stop there. But two, that's why you also need to read your Bible. And the Bible's very clear if you do the homework, uh, that the world that we see today was not like the world you had back then. And there were certain things going on in the atmosphere that are not going on today. And a lot of researchers believe that one of the things that was going on in the atmosphere that helped to produce this massive amount of rain, this guessing from above, okay, there was a certain amount of water in the upper atmosphere, okay, and this isn't just some convenient theory. 
It's based on this passage of Scripture. Let's take a look at that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. And God said, let there be an expanse between the what? Waters, plural. It tells you you got two sources going on here. To separate water from water, right? So you got two things going on. So God made an expanse and separated the water under the expanse uh, from the water above it, right? So there was one below, there's one above. And it was so. This is the count of creation. This is how God originally created the planet, okay? So God called the first expanse what? Sky. And then there was evening and there was morning the second day. So when you slow down, take a look at this text. It actually helps describe the early atmosphere, the pre-flood atmosphere. And what you see is God placed an expanse between the waters that were on the earth from the waters that apparently were in the upper atmosphere, Okay, and so this text tells us a clue about the pre-flood conditions of the world that there was a certain amount of water, okay, in the upper atmosphere, okay, so that when God caused it to rain, boy, did it ever rain, okay? It produced a guessum that this world has never seen and praise God, we'll never see again. Now, as a side note, I don't believe that all this guessum, this amount of uh, uh, water coming from above, these torrents of sheets, absolutely violent for 40 days and 40 nights, was all just from above, I think as we're going to see in a little bit, a lot of that water, uh, probably even more so that water, was from the springs when they burst up from down below, and then, as we're going to see, went up into the atmosphere, and then they came down too, okay? But you put all that together, folks, and what you see is it was horrible, it was massive, okay? And besides, we also know logically, and even scientifically, that the uh, pre-flood atmosphere did have a different uh, atmosphere than what we have today. Okay, and a certain amount of water up there, as well as I would say a greater uh, 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 other uh, layers uh, that we have up there, uh, really helps to explain it all. Okay, and uh, for instance, like a lack of a rainbow. Why is that so special after the flood? Because most likely there wasn't obviously a rainbow before, because you had a different atmosphere that wasn't going to produce a rainbow. Okay, things of that nature. I'm not going to get dogmatic about it. Some people say that there uh, very possibly was no rain before the flood. Because the Bible talks about the water being uh, uh, fed from the, the springs of, of the ground. Okay? So that would have been a shock value too. But it adds to the specialness. Like all of a sudden God says, I'll never flood the earth again with this promise of a rainbow. Okay? And so our atmosphere today will produce that, but very well possibly the pre-flood, that wasn't there. But also it would help explain with a certain amount of uh, water in the upper atmosphere as well as like say a greater ozone layer, could it help produce the right conditions to produce giant life forms? Do we see that in the fossil record? Do we see giant animals and giant people and giant trees and giant bugs? We'll get into that in great detail later. Yeah, and even, guess what? They've even done some experiments. That very well put all those conditions together. That can help also provide giant ages. To, right? Okay, now again, it's not just a convenient uh, theory. Okay, it is a lot believed based on the biblical text. But when you put it all together, folks, even scientifically, it starts to explain a lot of things. Okay? Let's take a look at this video. Based on fossil evidence, trees like the California giant sequoia grew much larger than they do today. One theory explains this by proposing that environmental conditions in the distant past were more conducive to gigantic growth. Under these described conditions, plants and animals would live longer, be much larger, and that's precisely what we find in the geologic column, in the fossil record. Plants were much larger, all living systems were larger. We have animals that today have an eight or nine foot stature with a 16 to 20 foot stature. We have insects such as the dragonfly. Today the dragonfly has perhaps a four inch wingspan. In the fossil record his counterpart Meganeuropsis had up to a five-foot wingspan. Everything was larger in the past. I'm of the opinion that under better atmospheric conditions, people were living uh, not only longer, but they were taller, much taller. Giants and dinosaurs could not exist today as they did in the past because the atmospheric conditions simply will not permit it. We had a greater ozone layer at the time prior to the flood. At the time of the flood, it was diminished to about one-seventh of what it was at that time, and therefore, 
life on this earth as we know it no longer has the same life expectancy as it did at the time of the flood. Huh, that's interesting. How many guys like to have all those dragonflies hit your windshield? Five feet wide there. It'd be with you in the car and kind of ruin your windshield. Man, I wouldn't even want to run into one of those uh, pre-flood skunks on the road. Right, <laughs> buy a new car. And you wouldn't get it out of your clothes. Uh, but anyway, but it's interesting. I mean, you take a look at the Bible, you take a look at the scientific data, and you swirl it all together, take God at his word, and it all matches up. You know what I'm saying? If you just leave it alone and listen to what God says, it starts to make everything look like, hey, God really judges planet once, then if he says he's going to do it again, you might want to stand up and pay attention. Amen? Okay? But that's not all. The second evidence that really was a worldwide flood, and it did cover the whole planet, was the other source we saw in the text there, and that was massive amounts of water from below. And this is just intense, okay? You thought the rain from above was bad? Whew, you ain't seen nothing yet, okay? And again, once you start uh, talking about this stuff, the skeptics, you know, they're going to start saying, well, okay, you're going to really say that there was enough water uh, uh, to cover the whole world, okay? They're going to still say this, something like this, okay? And I've heard this before. They'll say, okay, excuse me, do you mean to tell me that uh, it rained, it says there, for 40 days and 40 nights, and it rained from above, okay? Uh, we've done the mathematical calculations on that, and the amount of water that it would take for the rain to come down uh, and produce that amount of water across the world uh, to the tops of the mountains, 20 feet, uh, it's impossible. It creates so much friction, it'd light the atmosphere on fire, I've heard all kinds of things, blah, 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 blah. Okay, actually, yeah, you're right. That would take a massive amount of water. But turn to somebody and see the, say the phrase tonight. Read your Bible, okay? That's not the only place that blows me away. Could you, could you keep reading? It didn't just say it came from above. What did it say? It said it also came from below. Let's take a look at that text again. Genesis chapter 7, verses 10 uh, through 12 says this, And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. Well, how? Where did it come from? Well, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day, the second month, on that day, all, how many? All the springs of the great deep burst forth. Massive explosion there. We'll get in a second. And of course, yes, the floodgates of the heavens were open. And rain fell on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. Okay? So the Bible says that these waters that cover the whole world didn't just come from above. They came from where? They came from below, specifically the springs of the great deep burst from below, okay? And just like the rainstorm, the guessing from above, okay? And you get it, when you get into the original language, you see how horrific this is? When you do the same thing when it talks about these springs bursting forth and the water busting out on the planet, it's horrific. You thought the rain was bad? I think this is where the bulk of a lot of it came from, folks. And that's what you see in the Hebrew language. The first way we know this is from the Hebrew word baka, okay? Sounds like a tropical bird, doesn't it? No, I know you were thinking that, but it's not. Okay, let's go back to the text. Once again, Genesis 7, start peeling it apart. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep, what? Burst forth. Now pay attention to that phrase, because that phrase there, burst forth, is our Hebrew word, baka. Okay, and it doesn't mean just burst forth like, I'm here. As exciting as that is, at least I got a cough out of it. Okay, it's not just birth, I, I just, I appeared on the scene. Okay, it's not just burst forth. Okay, that's not at all what the word means. It literally means to be violently torn or ripped apart. Okay, violently torn or ripped apart. In fact, just to give you some usage elsewhere, it's the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes where it speaks about a man ripping apart a block of wood when he smashes it with an ax. Violent force that's being used here. It's the same word that was used when Moses split the rock, baka, with his staff, and water gushed out, enough to water about two million people, uh, rough estimates would say. It's the same word that's used when Korah, in the Old Testament, uh, rebelled against God, and the ground split apart, it's baka, and opened up and swallowed them all up. Okay? It's it, violent, ripping, raw is the word that's used here, okay? So you put all this together, and this is really what's going on in this text. You thought that rain, the guessing was bad? This is all happening, folks, around the same time. It's all this. It, this was the worst day in the history of mankind until the seven-year tribulation. As Jesus says, that's going to be the worst time in the history of mankind. But it's not here yet. It's getting close, I think. 
But this was the worst day, okay? So you got that guessing coming from above, 40 days, 40 nights, 40 days, 40 nights. And this thing's going off all of a sudden, specifically when Noah was 600 years old. Boom, because God, if you will, whack, laid an axe to the earth like a block of wood. And when he did, it just went, shred that baby apart, cracked it open, and violently bursting forth was a massive amount of water bent up under pressure and just went, in the atmosphere. Got some cool animation. We'll see that in a second, okay? The point is, uh, you didn't want to be there. Should have listened to no, okay? The second way we know this was a violent, horrific explosion of water from below is a couple more Hebrew words, and that's uh, Rabad Emiod. Let's say that. You Hebrew scholars, you. Now let's take a look at that in Genesis chapter 7, now verse 18. Describes even more in horrific manner. The waters rose and what? Increased greatly okay, is what you need to focus on, on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Now, obviously, I gave you the heads up there, increased greatly. That's our two Hebrew words, rabad mi'od, okay? Now, rabad means to become great, to multiply exceedingly. You couple it with mi'od, mi'od means also exceedingly, but it carries it with the idea abundant, massive, abundant force, okay? So you swirl it all together, these two words, and what it tells us is that the water, what it did after Boom, God laid an axe to the earth. Baka. So he, he lays this axe, bang, rips apart. This tells us what that water did, and it was a massive explosion. It was a massive explosion of water that spread everywhere extreme, ex, uh, extremely fast and ex, exceeding abundance you can't even believe of. I mean, I don't care how fast you are. I don't care if you had a car back then. Nothing was going to outrun this baby. It came forth in such torrents, just gushing, boom. Nobody was going to survive. Now, if that didn't freak you out, the very next verse should. Let's take a look at that. Genesis chapter 7, now verse 19 says this. They rose greatly, is the phrase there. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens uh, were covered. Okay. Now, the word that's used here greatly that I got there in the uh, uh, signs there uh, is not just miod. Listen to this. It's actually miod miod. Okay, now that sounds like a feline or something, doesn't it? Meow, meow. No, come on, I know you're thinking that. Uh, meow, meow. Now, this is important because if you understand proper biblical interpretation rules, right, Joey? All right, I'm down to one piece of gum. All right, and uh, is that anything that something is repeated more than once, it's, it's screaming out in the scriptures for emphasis, right? We see that in the New Testament. We've talked about this before. God is not just holy. He is what? Holy, holy, holy. Scripture never says that God is love, love, love. God is just, just, just. But it does say, now he is love and he is just, but it says he's holy. When you understand the holiness of God, you understand why he judges sin. Maybe one day we can get to a study on the holiness of God. That'll get you. Okay, gets me every time because that's pretty freaky, man. Okay, but it also magnifies the cross of Jesus Christ. His love and mercy, man, what we deserve after our sin, impugning his holiness. Wow, I digress. But miod miod is the word that's used here. And it's, 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 it's a, a, a back-to-back, and so that is emphasis, okay? And it, that's what we have. So what the text, you put all this together, this water didn't just bang. So you got baka, you got the earth violently ripping open. This water, listen, didn't just rise greatly. It didn't just spread exceedingly fast, but it spread with the most massive, exceedingly fast force you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, nothing was going to survive. This was so violent, nothing was going to survive, okay? But I still know the third way we know this was a horrific explosion of water. Let's take a look at another one there, uh, is from the Hebrew word gabar, okay? Gabar, and let's take a look now at Genesis 7, verses uh, 18 through 20 is where we see this there. This is really cool. The waters rose, that's your word there, the waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose, there it is again, greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains on the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose, now notice it's the same word that's being used in just a couple verses. They rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet, okay? Now this word is extremely graphic, okay? Obviously it's the word there, rose. In the Hebrew, it's actually the word gabar, okay? And it doesn't mean just to rise up in a slow, creepy, methodical fashion, right? You guys ever uh, get a leak in your tub or something? All right. Are you serious, Scott? You're an incredible plumber. Okay. But for the rest of us who are uh, challenged in those plumbing things, 
Okay, uh, you know, if you get a leak in something like that, you know, it'll rise. It's, oh, no. Or even like a good gusher, like in the kitchen or something, the faucet comes off. That's pretty horrific, right? And it'll fill up things pretty quick. That's not what's going on here. Uh, the word that's used here is just in, in sin, uh, incredible. It carries with it the idea of gabar, strength or might. The word literally means to conquer, okay? So what this tells us is that when that water began to rise on the earth, listen to this, because you put it all together. It's just like a movie thing. Okay, God, uh, at, uh, right at the right time, God crack, cracks the earth, vroom, violently rips the earth open. These waters boom, burst forth out like you can't believe, okay, in a violent, horrific fashion. And so obviously the earth started to fill up. That's, that's what we got going on here. But when it filled up, it filled up absolutely incredibly fast. I mean, it wasn't just some like, all right, Bob, you better hurry up and build your own boat. Noah, I uh, should have listened to him, but... Looks like it's about three inches right now, and well, at this rate, we got about another week before we need to finish this canoe, and somehow, when this water began to rise, the Hebrew says, it rose extremely fast. In fact, what's cool is the picture is, it was like the land in the Hebrew here was in a hand-to-hand combat with the water. Obviously, the water won, okay? Nothing was going to survive. In fact, uh, the earth was literally beat up with this water for 150 days. Nothing was going to survive. And that's what we see here uh, in this word, Genesis 7, verse 24. The waters flooded, they gabarred, they literally beat up the earth. Okay, they rose so fast, they just literally was just coming so fast, everything that was in its path was literally just knocked out, knocked down, covered up, beat up for 150 days. So even if somehow you could somehow scrounge up something, which you couldn't, but even somehow you could somehow think you're going to survive, this thing continued to beat up the earth for 150 days. Maybe you survived the first wave, maybe the second wave, but for 150 days, this just continued to pound the earth, okay? The Bible is clear, folks. Nothing on the earth was going to survive this thing. It was the judgment of God, and when he said everything was going to be wiped out, and he said it repeatedly, nobody's going to escape his judgment. Only those who took him up on his mercy who were in the ark, okay? You didn't want to be there. But you might say, okay, that's kind of cool, Pastor Billy. It's definitely graphic. You know, like they guess them from above. This is, I think, even more graphic when you peel apart the Hebrew, okay? Uh, and it, it looks like a pretty descriptive violent eruption from below. Uh, but is there any proof of this scientifically, not just biblically? Yeah. A lot of scientists and geologists uh, have uh, examined this, looked at and looked at the evidence, okay? And they said this is extremely possible. And in fact, you can still see scars of it many believe, on the earth today of this cracking of the earth, okay? Like this guy. Let's take a look. We can see on our planet 17 very strange features which can now be systematically explained as a result of a cataclysmic global flood whose waters erupted from subterranean chambers with an energy release exceeding the explosion of 10 billion hydrogen bombs. The pre-flood Earth probably had only one very large supercontinent covered with lush vegetation. There were seas and major rivers. The mountains were smaller than today's, but perhaps 9,000 feet high. According to the hydroplate theory, the pre-flood Earth had a lot of subterranean water, about half of what is now in our oceans. This water was contained in interconnected chambers, forming a thin spherical shell about half a mile thick, perhaps 10 miles below the Earth's surface. Increasing pressure in the subterranean water stretched the crust just as a balloon stretches when the, the pressure inside increases. Failure in the crust began with a microscopic crack which grew in both directions at about three miles per second. The crack, following the path of least resistance, encircled the globe in about two hours. As the crack raced around the Earth, the overlying rock crust opened up like a rip in a tightly stretched cloth. The subterranean water was under extreme pressure, so the water exploded violently out of the rupture. All along this globe-encircling rupture, fountains of water jetted supersonically almost 20 miles into the atmosphere. The spray from this enormous fountain produced torrential rains, such as the Earth has never experienced before or after. The Bible states that all the fountains of the great deep burst open on one day. And it describes these events about 5,000 years ago 
which we can now tie together scientifically. The high pressure fountains eroded the rock on both sides of the crack, producing huge volumes of sediments that settle out of this muddy water all over the earth. These sediments trapped and buried plants and animals, forming the fossil record. This erosion widened the rupture. Eventually, the width was so great that the compressed rock beneath the subterranean chamber sprung upward, giving birth to the mid-oceanic ridge that wraps around the earth like the seam of a baseball. Well, that's interesting. You always wondered in school, why is there that big crack going around the earth? Oh, we find no evidence of a worldwide flood. That's crazy. Really? Read your Bible. It didn't just come from above. It came from below, and you can still see the scars today. It's all here, folks. Okay? And again, this explains a whole bunch of other things that we're going to get into later. Okay, but the point is this, folks. Uh, we, there's no need to scoff. <laughs> okay, you look at all this stuff, and you deal with it honestly on the evidence for a worldwide flood, and if you still walk away from that, you're actually fulfilling the very Bible that you're scoffing at. Because the Bible says in Peter that in the last days, people are going to scoff at the first judgment. And they're going to say the same thing. Where's this coming that he promised? Everything continues on like it was. What were the, Jesus said, the people of Noah's day doing? Eating, drinking, marrying. Yeah, whatever. Everything's continuing on. Here's that wacko over here building this boat for how many years now? Nothing ever changes. Oh, you're just a negative person. Doom and gloom. That's all you ever talk about. <laughs> and he was crazy. He was a wacko until the first rain fell. And everybody heard a boom, massive crack explosion. And here it came, but it was too late. Folks, when you take a look at the biblical text, it isn't just that there was a worldwide flood. This was a horrific judgment from God. And when he said nobody was going to survive, nobody's going to survive, he takes sin seriously. Right? It was horrific. It was violent. It was horrific. And just like he said, nobody was going to survive except for the people who took him on, uh, up on his offer, so to speak, and made it into the ark, okay? And Jesus said it's going to happen again, guys. It's going to happen again. Read Revelation 19. It's horrific. And again, this is from Jesus. How many times people want to just denigrate Jesus? Oh, he was the precious lamb of God, and he was bruised and beaten on our behalf, and praise God he was, amen? But he's also the line of the tribe of Judah, and guess what? When he comes back again, he's dishing out the beating. He's dishing out the punishment. He's dishing out the judgment. And it's just going to be just as violent, just as horrific. And oh, by the way, he's holy, so he has all the rights to do so. You read Revelation 19, and it's just as horrific as this. The slaughter that's going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon, when Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be such a great slaughter. The text says, if you do the map there on the stadium and all that stuff, in the modern vernacular, the blood is going to be four feet Four feet high. Almost told me. I better put it up here. Four feet high for 200 miles. That's Jesus coming back. We need to have a heart, I'd say, like God does. When Jesus was making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Bible says he wept. And he wept and he says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. Because he was getting ready to make the triumphal entry. He being God, he predicted how many times. He knew they were going to reject him. He knew they were going to kill him. Right? He prophesied it. He told him it was going to happen. So he's getting ready to enter into that time. And it says he's up there and he's weeping. Now, there's two times that the scripture talks about Jesus weeping. There's this time and then there's the time at Lazarus' tomb. Right? And they told him that Lazarus was dead and said, Jesus wept. Okay? Now, there's actually, again, there's two different Greek words that are used there. The, the crying that was used of Jesus at Lazarus' tomb was just a, a pretty good cry. The crying that was used of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, who was about ready to reject him, and he knew was going to kill him, murder him, nail him to a cross, he knew it. The word that's used there is a weeping, bitter, sobbing, uncontrollable cry. I mean, have you ever had that grief where you're crying so hard you can't, <laughs> you can't even get a breath? It's just you're such weak. That's that. And what's the context there? Jesus, knowing that the judgment of Jerusalem was going to come because they rejected him, we opened up at that. Jesus, knowing they were going to crucify these people who hated his guts and didn't want the very Messiah who came to save him. 
was weeping on that level. That tells us he has a heart of compassion. Now, when we read the text, whether it's this first judgment with Noah or the Jesus coming back at the second coming and the blood four feet high, 200 miles, we should have that same heart of compassion with the law. Do we not know that this is what they're headed for? Do we not know, unless it was the mercy of God that drew us unto him, that that would be us, that we're headed for that nightmare? Jesus had that heart of compassion. And guys, we need to have that same compassion. Like what one guy said, we need to stop looking at people as if they were just people. We need to look at them as they were lost soul in danger of hell. And we need to speak up faithfully like Noah did year after year. I don't care how much they mock us and spit at us. We know what's coming. And it's going to be like the first one. It's horrific. You don't want to be there. Okay? And maybe the first one looks something like this. We'll close in prayer for this. Because it says pretty horrific. The next judgment is going to be just as bad. Let's see how many people we can get in the boat. The Ark of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many of you have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. 
uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day, that you're still alive. God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good. Unless you reach out 
and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.